BCL is back. What's up, everyone? Welcome to BCL Coast to Coast, the official podcast of the Basketball Champions League. My name is Austin Green. Joining me to break down game day 10 of the BCL over in Germany is David Hein. Dave, how's it going this week? Great, great. Fun stuff all week. Uh, um, and I uh, can't wait to break it down. Uh, we have our first teams that are in the playoffs. So let's go. Uh, let's go coast to coast. Yeah, that's right. Four teams have now qualified for the playoffs and qualified pretty early, too. There's still four game days left in the regular season, but through to the next round are Tenerife, Murcia, Ike Athens, the defending champions, and also Hapoel Jerusalem have already qualified for the round of 16 with four games to go. We'll talk about some of those teams on the podcast. Also, our guest this week is MVP of the game day, Jason Rich from Besiktas. He had 28 points in a big win on the road over Strasbourg. We talked to Jason uh, for quite a while about a lot of different topics, so stay tuned for that coming up toward the end of the podcast. First, like we said, we're going to analyze game day 10. Let's start it off with the team of the week. At point guard, we've got Tamir Blatt from Hapoel, Jerusalem. He had 14 points, 8 assists, 4 of 6 from the 3-point line in a big win over Antwerp. William Hatcher from Pauk, he had 26 points, 5 assists, 5 of 6 3-pointers there. Jason Rich, as we mentioned, the MVP, 28 points, 59% shooting from the field, hit some crazy shots in that Strasbourg game. Defense draped all over him, rose up for some big jump shots there. Rian Brown had 31 points, 14 of 19 from the field, and five rebounds for Prometheus in a nice win over Bayreuth. And at center, Colton Iverson from Tenerife, a double-double with 23 points, 11 rebounds. He was 11 of 15 from the field, really dominated the paint in that game. Dave, uh, anybody who didn't make the team of the week who you'd like to nominate for the Jure Grant Award for a player who uh, should have made the team but got snubbed? Uh, I mean, those guys are all, you know, Definitely worthy of it. One guy, probably some people might think is, uh, you know, Dominic Waters, 13 points, 13 assists, just one turnover uh, in the Nanterre blowout of Bonn. And then uh, maybe Cameron Clark as well uh, in the uh, big win for the, for Le Mans at Ludwigsburg. Maybe even Dejan Kravich. But again, you know, those five just... Uh, fantastic performances. You know, tip your hat to those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Great individual performances from those guys helping their teams get to a win. I'd also maybe throw in James Felding. I know we took Tamir Blatt from Hapoel Jerusalem, but Felding was awesome in that game against Antwerp. I think he had 20 in the first half, really exploded out of the gate. So another great performance by him on that loaded Hapoel Jerusalem team. All right, Dave, let's jump in and analyze some of these games. We're going to start it off at the top with Group A. Trying to get free, he does. Rojas over the top. Oh, Milton Doyle got a clean look, fires it up, he's good! Great execution! Going through the standings at the top of Group A, we've got Ukam Murcia at 9 and 1, Avelino in second place at 7 and 3. Behind them, we've got Banvit at 6 and 4, Nizhny Novgorod are in fourth place at 5 and 5, and then Anvil and Laman both 4 and 6, Ventspils 3 and 7, and Ludwigsburg in last place at 2 and 8. I think for the first game uh, that we're going to talk about here, it was a double overtime thriller in Murcia as they took down Nizhny 94 to 90. This was a physical 
ugly game. If the refs got paid by the whistle, uh, their pockets were pretty full after this one. There were just a ton of fouls, two physical teams. We knew this was going to be a dogfight. Uh, and the refs, you know, they were kind of calling everything. So it wasn't exactly a game with a lot of flow. There were a ton of free throws, uh, but it was still really interesting. Kendrick Perry exploded for Nizhny, especially in the second quarter. He had 33 points in the loss, which is really impressive going up against this tough Morcia defense. And Nizhny were actually in control for a large portion of the game. They were up by 10 early in the third quarter, but then Morcia went on a 10-0 run with all of those being free throws to get back in the game. And then late in the fourth quarter, Morcia were up by 7, but Nizhny got some help from guys other than Perry. Astepkovic hit a three, Strebkov hit one, Popov had a dunk, and Nizhny took a one-point lead. And then Nizhny were up by three with about seven seconds left, but Morcia ran a great play for Milton Doyle. He kind of slid through the elevator doors, that double screen where the two big guys uh, let him run past them and then close off the path uh, for the defender. Doyle got an open three and knocked that down. And then at that point, it was basically a war of attrition where Morcia just had more guys in double overtime. Nizhny had four, I think five players fouled out in double OT. Perry slowed down, looked like he didn't have quite the same bounce or the same energy as the game went on. And Morcia were able to come away with another win and qualify for the playoffs, like we said. Dave, did did you see anything from this game that kind of jumped out to you? You know, for as ugly as it was, you did have some very thrilling moments down the down the stretch. You know, you had the 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 Doyle three at the end. You also had a Perry layup to force the second overtime. Uh, kind of surprisingly, both teams were better shooting threes than twos. Um, and and my you know my chaotic side really 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 was wishing that there would have been a one more foul on on one of the three guys that had four fouls from Nizhny, so they would have actually only had four players on the court. <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty crazy. Um, on the winning side, Askia Booker, he finished with 22 points and really stepped up uh, in the extra periods. That second overtime, he hit a nice three to kind of start things off. He had another three-pointer later and then the two free throws to seal it. But, you know, Nizhny, even though they lost this game, they'll obviously be disappointed. You know, they were up by three on the final possession of the fourth quarter. They, they had a great chance to win. Uh, but, you know, this is, I think, an encouraging game for them where they can go toe-to-toe with a team like Morcia. We know Nizhny are tough. They're physical. Uh, we know Kendrick Perry can get buckets. But the other guys really stepped up as well. You know, Ivan Strebkov had a great game, 20 points five rebounds, uh, three assists. He was really making plays. Um, Christopher Cherapovich had 18. Astapkovich, as I mentioned, hit some big shots. So this is a tough Nizhny team. I definitely would not want to face them in the playoffs, but, you know, tough loss for them on the road. They they could have stole a, a really big one here. Dave, any, any final thoughts on this game before we move on? No, I, you know, they, they showed that they could, they could uh, get in a dogfight and, and really win a dogfight they had ended up not winning it but that they you know put themselves in the situation to win win a dogfight and again hey mercia you know they just win ugly dogfights and this is exact this is another one of those exactly exactly mercia always seem to be winning these tough uh tough gritty close games which i think bodes well for their chances heading into the playoffs looking at the other games in this group uh ludwigsburg they lost at home to lamon 68 to 73 lamon have now won two straight and they're only a game uh behind nizhny for that last playoff spot so keep an eye on the french champions 
happens over these next couple weeks. Banvit, they got a nice win at home, beating Vinchspiels 78-63 to to keep things rolling there. And Avellino winning on the road at Anvil 72-62. to Second straight win in the BCL for Avellino. Dave, any any notes on the rest of these games? You know, Bandits, they're still up there. You know, they've been taking these. This was a home game, uh, but, you know, they're, they're still right up there. They have a two-game lead over the other two teams. Uh, so they're in a solid situation to make the playoffs. Avellino, um, you know, this is five, in, five games in a row that they've won uh, with uh, since the departure of, of Norris Cole. Obviously, there was uh, financial reasons to go along with that, but, you know, um, addition by subtraction, you know, everybody coming together, you know, this is a team that really is, is coming together. And, um, yeah, so it, it, the group is, you know, you're, you're starting to, you know, you're starting to see, you know, Nizhny with, with the, with the game lead over the other two, um, you know, Ludwig's are pretty much out of it. I would say even Ventspils are, are, are almost out of it. So, you know, we're starting to see this group really, uh, look a lot uh, decided. Yeah, certainly seems that way. Uh, one quick thought on Avellino, you know, with Norris Cole going out, I thought um, they would be in trouble. It's it's really cool to see them rally the way they have. And like you said, you know, other guys are stepping up. Kiefer Sykes in that point guard role, 13 points, six assists, four rebounds in this game. Caleb Green had 17. Demetrius Nichols had 16. And uh, Igor Jerkovic mentioned this in his help side column this week that's up on the website right now. Uh it's called Why the First Four Will Not Be the Final Four. He talked about a few different things, but one of them was this Avellino team, you know, maybe a little bit of a situation where they just had too many guys. And as good as Norris Cole is, uh, you know, clearing that space just kind of shortens the rotation a little bit. Other guys get a chance to step up. Maybe they kind of rallied around that situation. So good for Avellino uh, as they improve to seven and three and stay in second place in the group. Oh, Unit Halong going to score this quarter. Jones pulls up for three. Oh, my goodness. Time out. Moving on to Group B, Tenerife at the top at 9-1. and one. As we mentioned, they are one of the first four teams to qualify for the playoffs. In second place, Venezia are 7-3. and three. Then Pauk and Halong are both 6-4. and four. In fifth place, Nanterre are 5-5. Five and five. Bonn are right behind them at four and six, and then at the bottom of the group, Freiburg two and eight, and Opava one and nine. Uh, Dave, I know you had some thoughts on nine and one Tenerife. Yeah, this is a team that still um, still hasn't convinced me. I know Ike was the the team of the uh, my team that hasn't convinced me for for the first whatever half of the uh, first half of the season, whatever. Tenerife is, is is in there now for me. You know, really, they only had Iverson going. Um, you know, he was 11 of 15. Uh, they led by, they led by 19 with three and a half, with three and a half minutes left in the third. And then it was a two point game with two minutes left in the, in the game. I know teams have, have struggled at, at Freeboard, but you know, as a, as a team that, you know, considers themselves a final four candidate, uh, I, I, I just don't know if they, if they, um, should be losing 19 point leads, uh, at a team like Freeborg, not to, you know, uh, you know, downplay anything about Freeborg. Uh, Freeborg only had nine turnovers. Tenerife just, they don't force, force, force turnovers. Um, and then also, you know, for a team that shoots so many threes and, and lives and dies by the three, um, when they were up by 19 with three and a half minutes left, they didn't. Sh- they didn't make another three the rest of the game, and they only shot four of them. And also in in that final thirteen minutes, they committed seven of their eleven turnovers in the game. 
Um, so I don't know if it was just okay. No, actually, the coach said afterwards it wasn't us. Uh, you know, really, you know, not uh, you know, not giving any credit to to Freebory. It was them, you know, giving us problems. So again, I'm, I'm not totally convinced, and and you know. So that's what I have on a uh, great, great performance by Iverson. He really, again, he was really the only guy who was working for, for that team. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, uh, how, how the draw shakes out in a few weeks and we'll see who Tenerife get matched up against. I do agree that they, you know, they've, they've looked vulnerable at times that nine and one record is impressive, but I think maybe a bit deceiving. I think this is, you know, one of the weaker groups, uh, if they were in say group D, uh, I, d- I definitely doubt that they would only have one loss. So, uh, we'll see how that shakes out over the rest of the season. Tenerife winning on the road at Freeborg 72 to 66. The other games in this group, Nanterre absolutely blew out Bonn 103 to 56. Both teams were four and five entering this game. Good opportunity for both teams. And Nanterre just completely took it to them, tied to the BCL record uh, for the biggest margin of victory with 47 point win. Venezia, they also won in a blowout, beating Opava 102 to 81. No surprises there. And then Pauk with a nice win, beating Halone 92 to 77. This is a game where Pauk really came out and just punched Halone in the mouth from the opening tip. They started the game on a 17 to 0 run, played some really tough pressure defense, got in Halone's faces, forced some turnovers. William Hatcher had it going on the offensive end, as we mentioned, made the team of the week. Uh, Jamal Jones hit back to back transition threes in that early sequence to put Pauk in a great position to win the game. Back to back losses now for Halone, although on the positive side, uh, they've lost to two of the top three teams in the group. Pauk and then Venezia the week before. Uh, so the schedule gets a little bit easier for them. They play Opava next week. They also didn't have Khalif Wyatt, their top scorer in this game, which was obviously a uh, contributing factor. Uh, Dave, any, any other thoughts on Group B? Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned them missing uh, Khalif Wyatt. Obviously, that makes a big difference. We saw two absolutely uh, white-hot teams from the outside. Um, Pauk was 14 of 21, so 67% uh, from three-point range. And uh, Nanterre hit 19 of 37 for 51%, but 19 threes. And then Ven- uh, um, Venezia, Venezia, you know, they were trailing early in the, f- in the, in the third um, against Opava, uh, but just, you know, too many weapons, just too much. They had 30 points off turnovers, 30... 35 fast break points, 30 assists, uh, the only team this season to dish out 30 assists. Uh, and they're three and one right now. And, uh, you know, they have a big, uh, big, uh, showdown coming up, uh, next week, uh, with Tenerife. So, uh, that's going to be a fun one. And Rice again, Rice steps back the long two, nothing but string for Tyrese Rice. Moving on to Group C, in first place, the defending champions Ike Athens are on top at 8-2. and two. Hapoel Jerusalem also have an 8-2 and two record, but they're behind Ike uh, because of the head-to-head. Then Bomberg in third place at 7-3, and three. Antwerp in fourth at 5-5, five and five. and then the other four teams in the group, Dijon, Leed Cabellus, Nimberg, and Fuenlabrada are all 3-7, and seven, two games behind Antwerp with four to play uh, for that final 
uh, playoff spot. Let's start this one off with Bomberg. They beat Ike 77 to 73 at home to snap Ike's eight game winning streak in Luca Bonke's return to Bamberg, the, uh, the head coach for Ike returning to his old stomping grounds. And, uh, this was a really close game throughout. The biggest lead was eight points, which Bomberg had in the fourth quarter. They promptly blew that lead, which they've uh, been prone to do late in fourth quarters, but they were able to pull it out. Uh, Dave, what'd you, what'd you think about this one? Yeah. I mean, you said, you mentioned it, uh, you know, tight throughout Bomberg, just five turnovers. So, you know, Ike really couldn't turn them, turn them over. Uh, Ike scoreless in the final two minutes. Um, you know, I, I think that's not going to happen very often. Uh, Jordan theater, uh, did not play in this, in this one yet. Um, Delroy, uh, James did, uh, but Theodore will join them on their on their next game. Ike, um, I I would imagine that Theodore probably would have been able to get one of those scores. Um, I wonder. Lauren Sakis took uh, three shots in the final two minutes, and I, I don't know if he's going to be able to get three shots uh, in the final two minutes. So you know, with with Theodore there, um, you know, a, a big win by by Bomberg, who had been uh, kind of uh, struggling a little bit in the in the BBL. Uh, domestically so a good strong answer in the in the in the Champions League um and you know puts them right put basically puts them in the playoffs now they're they're not officially through yet but um you know it definitely puts them uh, at arm's length of 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 Antwerp and and now maybe they can try to grab a second spot you know first spot is still up for grabs just a game behind both those teams um but uh uh, yeah, this was, you know, this is a team that we've been talking about rounding into form now with everybody back Bomberg. So well, what do you, what do you got in this one? Yeah. Fourth straight win in the BCL for Bomberg after a three and three start for this one. I thought Ike, you know, even though it was a close game, I thought Ike were the more impressive team in the first half. Uh, Jonas Matrulis was working from the post, getting some buckets. Dusan Sakota had a great first half. Uh, he was throwing cross court passes for three pointers, had a nice drive and dish to Vince Hunter. He had a little one legged fadeaway, a put back after a missed free throw, a deep three right before the halftime buzzer. So he was really scoring in a lot of ways, getting everyone involved. Uh, and then in the second half, Tyrese Rice woke up a little bit. He was kind of quiet in the first. But for me, the key was Bomberg making sh- shots late in the shot clock when they needed buckets. Um, there was in the third quarter, Augustine Rubit with the shot clock winding down, hit a nice baseline jumper. Uh, also in that quarter, Ricky Hickman hit a three late in the shot clock. And then in the fourth quarter, Nico Zizis, he had, he had Sakota switched on to him, was able to get to kind of like a little free throw line jumper, knocked that down late in the clock and that was just kind of the the difference for me was Bomberg they were able to make good make shots even when Ike played good defense made them use the entire shot clock uh Bomberg were still able to knock down shots and in a close game that was really important and for Ike just too many wasted possessions in the fourth quarter you know you mentioned that they didn't score in the final two minutes there uh they had they had some great opportunities as well you know Sakota he had the point guard Zizis uh switched onto him at one point he was in the post he wasn't able to get a bucket, which I thought was surprising. And then with Ike down two with about 25 seconds left, Malcolm Griffin blew past his defender and he probably could have finished at the rim. 
Help defense rotated off of Laranzakis in the corner, and instead of going up for the game-tying layup, he decided to kick it to Laranzakis in the corner, which is fine. Uh, Laranzakis is a good three-point shooter. He's at 39% in the BCL this season, and I understand wanting to get the go-ahead bucket. You know, when you're on the road, you know, just go for the kill. Uh, don't give Bomberg, uh, you know, a chance to win the game with the game tied. But Laranzakis missed the three. Howard Saint-Rouz flies in for a great offensive rebound, kicks it back to Laranzakis. He's even more open at the top of the key, missed it again. Sakota got the offensive rebound but fell down and and couldn't really get a pass off, and the ball went out of bounds. Uh, and then Rubit hit both free throws, and that's the ball game. So, uh, you know, for me, just not enough execution from Ike down the stretch. But like you mentioned, they're getting Jordan Theodore, and that's a huge addition. This guy was MVP of the first BCL season back in 2016-17. Uh, he led the league with 7.7 assists per game. He was also fourth in scoring at 16.2 points per game for that tough Banvit team. So getting Theodore in there, uh, you know, the, the strong gets stronger in Ike, and, you know, they're going to be really tough to beat uh as the season progresses any final thoughts dave on this game before we move on no let's let's uh let's move on to the other games in this group yeah so jerusalem with a huge win beating antwerp 92 to 72 at home this one felt like a statement win you know we we talked to paris lee on the podcast a few weeks ago antwerp they upset jerusalem by 12 points in belgium and we asked paris lee about this game and he just kind of chuckled and he was like man like they're gonna come at us hard and they got a lot of weapons but we're ready for the challenge and you know the, I, I think antwerp they responded well the first quarter first half or so even though they were down by 10 points at half they were still in the game uh, trading blows but this Jerusalem team just so many weapons from Blatt and Brown at the point guard spots Feldin, Butler and Johnson on the wings Owens, Thomas, Stoudemire inside just too much firepower for Jerusalem plus they have that great home court advantage uh, I, I love watching this team um, and I, I suggest going back and watching this game on livebasketball.tv even though it was a 20 point game it was still a really entertaining one because Antwerp have some really fun players as well uh, Dave did you, did you catch any of that one? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, what you really have to tip your hat, you know, that there's that, uh, Jerusalem is going to have those, those weapons. Um, but you know, the, the fact that they absolutely shut down the Antwerp three point shooters, six of 35, 17%, uh, Paris Lee and Victor Sanders combined for two of 17. So they just took, uh, Antwerp completely out of their, uh, perimeter game. Um, and you know, I got a shout out again to, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned Feldin as maybe a possible team of the week guy. Uh, my Mr. Underrated a couple weeks ago to Sean Thomas, 10 points, five rebounds, six assists, two, two steals, three blocks. I love this guy. I love watching him play. Yeah, Thomas was great again. Jerusalem uh, brought great energy. Three block shots in the first two minutes to really set the tone, and Thomas uh, was a big part of that with their rim protection there. Uh, the other two games in this group, Nimberg got a win at home, beating Leet Cabela 78-71, to and Dijon winning on the road at Fuenlabrada 73-59. to Seven straight losses now for Fuenlabrada after a 3-0 and start. Uh, Dave, any notes on those two games? Uh, really just, you remember after three weeks, we were saying Fuenlabrada 3-0, wow. Seems like a long time ago. For Brooks though, Brooks is being harangued and it's knocked away. Oh, what a pass by Geekus to Brown. Brown's out in the open and an easy left-hand flush for Rion Brown. 
And the last group, Group D, D stands for death. This group is absolutely brutal. Bologna are in first place at 8-2 and two after they won a close game against last place Olympia Ljubljana. Uh, Prometheus in second place at 7-3. and three. Then we've got Strasbourg, 6-4. and four. Besiktas in fourth place at 5-5. Five and five. Ostend also 5-5, five and five just behind them. And then we've got Bayreuth and Neptunus at 4-6. And, and Petrol Olympia at 1-9 and nine at the bottom of the standings. Let's start this one off with Prometheus getting an impressive 95 to 83 win over Bayreuth at home. Uh, we mentioned Rion Brown made the team of the week with his 31 points, uh, but I really love this Prometheus team overall. Great defensive pressure throughout the game, and Brown was a big part of that. He doesn't just score points. He brings it on the defensive end. Uh, he re- was really hounding guys, pressuring the ball, flies in for rebounds, great energy from him. I love Nikos Gikas and his, and his one-handed hook passes that he throws where he just zips the ball around. And for this one, I thought Prometheus, you know, they were mostly in control. Bayreuth stayed in it. They cut the lead to eight with three minutes left, but then Gikas hit a three to put Prometheus over the top. Dave, what were some of your impressions from this game? You know, this one of the things that, that uh, you have to come up with defensive stops to win games, important games, and Bayreuth just wasn't able to do that. In the final seven minutes, Brown scored uh, 11 points, and they scored, uh, Prometheus scored on seven straight possessions um, to and it, then to to make it an eleven point game with two minutes left, and that was just too too much of a hole. Um, you know, with guys like Brown, like guys like Meyer, uh, with with Geekas just passing it to, to 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 various guys on this team. Um, Kasalak is shooting threes. You know, they're they're a team that that that's going to score, and um, you know, they just the uh, Byright just weren't able to come up with the defensive stops in this game. Um, and I think one of the, one of the, you know, you mentioned that, uh, Roberts, uh, you mentioned that, uh, Brown was just hounding guys. I mean, you look at Robertson who had been really, you know, Cassius Robertson from, uh, from, uh, from Byroid, who'd really been one of, uh, the hottest players in, in both the BCL and the, and the German BBL. And, you know, he didn't, I don't, I don't think he scored until the fourth quarter. I know he only scored seven points. Uh, on three of nine, so just fantastic defensive performance, like you said, and I, I agree. I, I really love this Prometheus team. Yeah, really balanced effort from them. Alexander Lipovi also had thirteen. Octavius Ellis had eighteen points on nine of ten shooting from the field. Most of those buckets came right at the rim. And then Langston Hall zero points, zero of four from the field, but played some great defense. I yeah, I, I like this team a lot. They're really scrappy. Um, I, I would not want any part of this team uh, in the playoffs going forward, especially especially with the way Brown can score. So, yeah, great win for Prometheus. Moving on, uh, we'll be kind of quick with this game since we have Jason Rich coming up on the podcast, but we have to talk a little bit about Strasbourg losing at home 64-69 to to Besiktas. Dave, what did you think about the Strasbourg side of this game? Uh, you know, this is a team that I really do like, um, and... Uh, but you know, one of the things that I that I kind of don't like about this team, or I worry about this team, is sort of the the age of it. You could have one side that's a wise old men, and and the other side it's you know losing a step or two. Um, and you look at Mike Green and uh, Marty Collins uh, combining for um, just three of eighteen from the field and eight points. Okay, Green had seven rebounds and and eleven assists, and just looking for other ways to to do things. But I think this is a, this is a worry that I've had 
um, for Strasbourg, just just uh, two fast break points in the game too. And um, you know, Besiktas, you look at you know you look at Pressy, you look at Rich, you look at even Sapahi. These are guys. These are quick guards. You know that can stay in front of the uh, an aging. Let's just say an aging guard or whatnot. Um, so. Yeah, it you know this was and 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 also they weren't able to turn over uh, Besiktas just seven turnovers so you know Besiktas four and one Strasbourg two and three in the last five so this are, these are really two teams you know going in, in opposite directions right now. Yeah, Besiktas brought great energy on the defensive end. You mentioned Pressy, Joe Alexander had a couple nice defensive plays, uh, Sepahi like you mentioned, and for me, you know, Strasbourg just had really horrible execution in the fourth quarter. This was a tied game. It was fifty-eight to fifty-eight with five minutes left. Strasbourg, like you mentioned, veteran presences. They're on their home floor. You would think that they would win that game in that situation, but they just committed stupid turnovers. They had a five-second violation on their on the baseline after a time out, which is really just unacceptable, especially, you know, you've got a coach in Coach Calais who, um, you know, his, his coached the French national team. He's accomplished a lot. Uh, when he when he draws up a play, like you have to be able to get the ball in bounds after a timeout. Uh, that, that's just unacceptable. And then the other thing where I would question Calais a little bit is Ali Traore only played 17 minutes, and I thought he was clearly more effective than Yusafa Fall, especially um, when Strasbourg were struggling offensively in the fourth quarter. I would have liked to see them go with Traore at the five spot. He was able to to basically score whenever he wanted early on in the game. Uh, so I, I thought that was a real missed opportunity for them. And also not enough touches for Nicola Lung, uh, who was 4-4 four four from the field. He finished with 11 points, but he did most of that damage early. I would have liked to see them get him more involved, uh, but also credit to the Besiktas defense on that one. The other game in this group with some big-time playoff implications was Ostend winning yet another game, beating Neptunus 79 to 77 on the road. Uh, Dave, what did you think about this one? And I, I know there was a little bit of controversy at the end. Uh, you know, Ostend, uh, they had lost that 13 point lead. Uh, were able to, to, to get the victory. I, you know, go back and, and watch the last 35 seconds, four lead changes. Um, you know, feeler, you know, stepping to the line and hitting, hitting, uh, all three, um, you know, Feeler, 14 points, uh, 13 points, four rebounds, five assists. Uh, TJ Williams, uh, also a big basket. Laisi as well. Um, huge victory. Uh, you know, this is a, a victory that uh, a loss that Neptunas probably couldn't afford, um, you know, at home against a direct rival in their fight for the for the playoffs. Yeah, really tough loss for Neptunus. And the final game in this group, first place, Virtus Bologna, uh, winning a close one, 87 to 84 against last place, Olympia Ljubljana. Uh, this was a game where Olympia led by 14 points in the second quarter. Great performances from the young guys early on, especially Luka Samanic, uh, with 10 points during that run. But then Bologna able to get back in the game and then hold on for the tight win to stay in first place in the group. Uh, Dave, any, any thoughts on this game you know you just wish that these kids were able to win one of these games you know last week they were up by 16 points over Prometheus and lost you know this week 14 points uh at Bologna and end up uh, not being able to finish it you know these are great learning experiences but you know at the end they're gonna say okay well, this is a learning experience but you know we were one and nine in the group you know it's like you know you can't you, you, it's 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 something that you have to just you know be have for you you know you're not going to be able to have the the results 
um, for your confidence, but that you're able to to build this lead against uh, uh, such a reputable a reputable team in such a, a uh, uh, such a such a, a legendary p- uh, place like Bologna. So, uh, but in the end, you know, the, what matters is the the losses and wins. All right, it's time for overtime. Five topics. We're gonna get through these pretty quickly before the interview with Jason Rich. First up, stat of the week. Dave, I'll throw it to you first on this one. Uh, I'm going to say plus 10. Um, this is Ostend's. It was actually mentioned in, in uh, Igor Djorkovic's column. I had it written before the column. I read it. Um, I can guarantee you. Um, Ostend has won their last four games by a total of 10 points. Uh, get a get the, the huge victory at, at uh, Neptunus. Three road games at Strasbourg, at Prometheus, one at home against uh, uh, Virtus Bologna, and now against uh, Neptunus, plus 10 uh, in four games, but a 4-0 record. What you got? For me, I'm going with Nanterre. Two games have been won by 40-plus points this season in the BCL, and both of them have been won by Nanterre. They beat Opava by 46 in game day eight. Now a 47-point win over Bond, which ties the BCL record. So that's my stat of the week. And then for the surprise of the week, I'm going to be kind of lazy and just stay in the same game with Nanterre beating Bond by 47 points. This is a game where both teams were 4-5 and five entering the game. Uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised that Nanterre won at home, but I thought it would be a little bit closer. Bond just didn't show up at all, and, and Nanterre completely blew them out for the big win. And Nanterre just one game behind Halone and Pauk now in, uh, in Group B. So watch out for them over these last few weeks. Dave, what was your surprise of the week? Uh, I'm going to actually stay in that game um, and go to... Uh, Jean-Marc Panza, the 21-year-old 21, 21 uh, from French Guinea, um, had a big game, 12 points on 6 of 6 shooting, uh, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 blocks, a tw- efficiency of 20, a plus-minus, which I don't totally buy, but still, plus-minus of 33 in 21 minutes. Um, starting to round into form, he was a... He was a practice player for the French national team in the in the November window. Did not actually end up playing in the game. Um, he also did have uh, twelve points. I uh, also had a, a, an eleven efficiency. Sorry, against Opava earlier in the year. Uh, had his name in the in the 2018 NBA draft, but ended up pulling out. Um, so my surprise is John Mark Panza um, as a guy who who. You know, really was able to use the minutes of a blowout and and really showcase what he uh, what he can do. Nice. Next topic: overreaction Friday. I'll go first with this one. This one's a little bit crazy. I don't know if I'd put money on this, but I'm going to say Strasbourg will not make the playoffs. <laughs> Bold hot take. Uh, they are six and four right now. They're in third place in Group D, just behind them. Besiktas five and five. Ostend five and five. Both of those teams have beaten Strasbourg recently, and I just I just really don't like the vibe of this team right now. You know, you mentioned they're uh, they're an older team, which which could be good in terms of, you know, they've got veteran leadership. They certainly have that. Uh, but they've just kind of melted down in, in fourth quarters recently. Uh, you know, there's that game a few weeks ago where Collins got ejected late. I just don't really love the vibe around Strasbourg right now. And Besiktas and Ostend are really on the rise. So that's my overreaction Friday is that those two teams will jump Strasbourg and bump them from the playoffs. Uh, what do you got, Dave? Who did you have? Who did you have uh, uh, jumping past them? Both. Who are the other two? Besiktas and Ostend. 
Okay, okay. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't see it as a, a as a as a huge shocker. I mean, you know, they're they're not really playing very good basketball right now. So, um, I'm I'm going to stay in that group, and I'm going to say Prometheus Patras is going to make the final four. Every year, wow. you know, there's a, there's a, there's a surprise team to make the final four. You know, Igor said in his column, you know, the first four won't be the final four. Um, and so who's the surprise team? You know, we both talked about it just a couple minutes ago. We love this team. You know, you look at the, you know, the energy that Rion Brown brings, uh, you got, you know, Meyer scored 30 points in a game earlier. They, they, they have lots of weapons, you know, Lipovi can score. Geekus just runs a great show. Kasalakis, um, uh, Sorelis, you know, these are guys that can play inside, outside. Um, Odom really didn't play, but he's a guy that can do a lot of different things too. They have the inside combo, uh, athletic long guys, um, Ellis and Parks. And, um, you know, this, this Bayreuth team, you know, they had just beaten, um, they had just beaten Bomberg in Bomberg and had played and, and lost their, 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 their top guy, basically Hassan Martin after two minutes and ended up beating, Bayern, uh, Bamberg in Bamberg, and then took uh, Bayern Munich to overtime in Munich, and uh, also without Hassan Martin. And then they come and okay, blowout is is a little bit uh, too much to say, but um, and I know the game was in Patras, but still, you know they 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 take down a team that you know has been really really playing good basketball in Bayreuth. So overreaction. Patras is going to make the final four. I like it. Next topic: best performance in a loss. I'll let you start this one off, Dave. Um, you know, it'd be easy to say Kendrick Perry with his 30, 33 points. Um, but, but I'm not going to, I don't know if that was yours or not, but I'm going to go, I've, I've used him before already, but I'll go back to the, to the Mirza Baggage. Well, um, they almost were able to do it. Olympia against Bologna, 19 points on nine of 12 shooting six, 12 rebounds, six of them offensively, uh, a 27 efficiency, um, the kids just aren't helping him enough. Uh, but so Begich, uh, my performance, best performance in the loss. Who do you got? Yeah, it would be easy to go with Kendrick Perry. So that's why I did that. Uh, 30, 30, 33 <laughs> points. Although I was a little disappointed by how he played in the second overtime. Uh, he was yeah. he was really hesitant to attack Kevin Tumba on switches, which I thought was a mistake. Uh, but Perry, um, you know, maybe he, he just kind of ran out of gas there at the end of the game. But he was pretty awesome for the most part, uh, getting getting Nizhny to that point. So I went with Kendrick Perry. And then the last topic. One other, one other okay. guy. One other guy you could have gone with was Sean. Sean. Sean Jones uh, with Halone. You know he had 21 points, uh, 11 rebounds in just 23 minutes off the bench. Um, but uh, yeah, Perry and and Begich definitely uh, uh, were were great in those losses. And the last topic, worst loss. This is the team that really needed a win and was not able to get one. Uh, Dave, who did you choose for this? Uh, I ended up going back with the team that's not going to make the uh, playoffs, according to you, Strasbourg. Um, you know, in an absolute dogfight in Group D, uh, you know, Besiktas uh, had been a, a team that had won three out of four. It was in Strasbourg, and they ended up losing and, and you know, really put themselves in a bad situation now. Uh, in that uh, in that super tight Group D, what do you got? Yeah, staying in Group D, I'm going to go with Neptunus uh, losing mm. that game to Ostend. They could have improved to five and five. Instead, they dropped to four and six. Still, only one game out of the out of the playoffs there, but they've lost four out of five now in the BCL. They're trending the wrong direction. Whereas Besiktas and Ostend and some of these other teams are on the rise. So I went with Neptunus for the worst loss. 
That's going to do it for overtime. Coming up next, we've got our interview with Jason Rich, MVP of Game Day 10, uh, who played incredibly well for Besiktas in their win over Strasbourg. Dave and I will catch you on the other side of the interview to wrap things up and preview Game Day 11. So enjoy our conversation with Jason Rich. He gives it up to Rich. He's going to go up for the two-handed jam. Rich from deep. It's good. He's got a lot of offense, folks. Oh, great play from Rich. From deep, it's good. Another one from Jason Rich. All right, so on the show this week, we have uh, Jason Rich from Besiktas. Uh, Jason, uh, first of all, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, you were named the Game Day 10 MVP of the Basketball Champions League this week, uh, topping the team of the week. You had 28 points. Uh, four rebounds, two assists, two steals, one block against uh, Sig Strasburg. Uh, maybe just talk about uh, what was really working for you uh, this week. Uh, well, you know, um, that is uh, the French League is a league I, I played in three years, so I'm very familiar with uh, that, you know, the style that Strasburg plays uh, offensively and defensively. And uh, I've played there at the arena several times, so. Um, I think having that advantage of knowing that prior to the game, um, it helped me understand the, the, the mindset that not only that uh, I was going to need, but we would need as a team to go in there and try to win a game. Yeah, and you were you were hitting a lot of really tough shots in that game where they were you know they were playing good defense, had hand in your face, and you were still hitting shots. Uh, was was that? Do you think kind of just like a confidence thing, you know, knowing that you've you've been in that arena before, you played against some of those guys, uh, did did that kind of help you with some of those really tough shots that you were hitting? Well, um, definitely, but I mean, at the same time, uh, I think to some people those shots look tough, but to me, those are shots that I've uh, made repeatedly throughout my career and other places, uh, as well as um, what I spent a lot of time working on, you know, throughout the, the, the summer times, throughout the week, um, and in preparation for each game. Um, and I mean, I mean, sure, I had it going, but, uh, you know, uh, I definitely was confident enough to take those shots and make them. Yeah, and, and knowing that the group you guys are in is, is really tough, really tight right now, uh, how, how big was it to get a win like this on the road? Oh, it was huge. Um, you know, um, just because we, you know, had some losses that we felt that uh, we didn't give, give our best, uh, we didn't play our best. So uh, it's, it's very tough to go on the road and, and get wins no matter where. So uh, it definitely was important for us to make up for, you know, losing to them at home. And, um, you know, winning that game definitely put us back in contention to be uh, in the top four to advance. So, um, I mean, nothing's done or sealed yet, but, uh, you know, that was a key win. So it was definitely so good to get it. Knowing how how tough how tough – and tight that that group D is. You know, last year Avellino, uh in the in the basketball Champions League was in a three way tie with Silona uh, Gora and, and Ostend, and you guys ended up going down to the FIBA Europe Cup. Uh, how fresh uh, in your mind is that experience, and how much does that help you? Maybe kind of uh, you know give that knowledge to the rest of the guys at Besiktas. Well, I think uh, you know. 
that definitely uh, plays a part in my mind um, because it came down to really our last game in that group. If we would have won that game, it would have advanced um, against uh, Bond, the German team. We didn't win the game, and uh, I just remember being very disappointed after that because, uh, you know, you're working really hard to advance, to, you know, have an opportunity to uh, not only be considered as one of the better teams, but to have a chance to win a championship. So uh, that definitely stuck in my mind uh, as far as me relating it to the team. I think that for me, I, I would rather do that with, you know, my play or my effort on the floor. Uh, coach does a good job of, you know, getting us to understand, you know, the level that we need to play at and with the level of intensity and focus that we have to have for uh, each opponent. So um, I think as a team, you know, um, we're pretty focused on that first. And then uh, we'll, we'll, if we do that, the winning, you know, it, it can come, you can win or you can lose, but it's the way you play that I think is more important for us right now. And and that Avellino team went on to the FIBA Europe Cup and, and, and reached the final, ended up losing. Uh, maybe just, you know, that was the closest you've had to a to a title so far in your career. Maybe what was that experience like for you? Well, I mean, uh, to get to that point and to not win is, is definitely uh, disappointing. Um, you know, I've had an opportunity uh, to be a part of successful teams, but you know, it's very difficult to hoist the trophy. You know, uh, there's no guarantee with that. So I think anytime you get an opportunity, I mean, you want to take advantage of it. But when you fall short, uh, like I said, it's disappointing but motivating, you know, at the same time because, um, you know, you just know those, those opportunities are not just given. So you have to earn them. Yeah, and uh, you played for Coach Sacraponti on that that Avellino team, um, and you know you won the Italian League MVP with him. Now he's he's coaching Bologna, uh, who you guys played tough the first time around, and then you have coming up again in a couple weeks. Uh, wh- what's it like playing against a coach who you had so much personal success under? Well, I think um, you know, um, first of all, you know, playing with Tino you know, was uh, definitely a highlight for me um, in my career, not only just for the MVP, but uh, just, you know, basically the, the trust that he had in me out on the floor to just play my game and really um, trust whatever I brought to the team, you know, um, I think that was, uh, you know, always a good thing to have. I think, uh, you know, he's had a lot of success uh, within Italy. Um, his teams have always been, you know, um, successful offensively uh, and have won a lot of games. So um, I'm not really surprised to see him doing well in Bologna. Uh, They have a very talented team. But, you know, for me personally, I I think that uh, his job as the coach was uh, different than mine. I mean, the trust he put in me and allowed me to play is one thing, but it's another for me to have to go out and actually perform it and actually, you know, be productive. So, um, I put a, a lot of, uh, you know, pressure on myself, so to speak, to be at a level that, that I want to be at. And, uh, he, he just helped me, you know, continue to push myself to be at that level. 
Let's go a little bit uh, into your your background. You're the uh, the youngest of nine children with a pastor as a father from from Pensacola, Florida. Maybe just um, talk about how you got into the game. Any of your siblings play the game at all? Uh, and then some of your role your role models maybe growing up uh, in the game, uh, and and maybe what was it like uh, being the baby of the family? Well, um, yeah, I am the baby of nine, and uh, you know. My my dad was a pastor of a church, and my mom also preached in the church as an evangelist. And uh, it was a, a very unique dynamic growing up. Um, <laughs> I don't have to tell you that the house was always uh, something going on, you know, with that many siblings. Uh, but we, we had really good times as a family growing up. Uh, we were very close-knit. We always did a lot of things together. Uh, I could think of... You know, imagine having that big of a family sitting around the dinner table or, you know, uh, every night. So um, all of my siblings influenced me in some ways. I had, I would say, five out of the nine did play basketball. Um, None of them have have taken it as far as I have. But uh, I, I think along the way, they've always encouraged me or, you know, worked with me. Uh, in the gym to try to be, you know, the player that I am. Um, so, you know, family is very important to me. It's always been a, a positive influence, and uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think the average person can understand that if they never grown up in a family that big. You know, like what it's really like to have that many brothers and sisters. You know. Yeah, I, I have, I have three brothers and nine, nine siblings. Uh, in total, that's I can. I mean, that's double of what I have, so that's pretty big. Um, we we always yeah. hear about we always hear about you know, um, let's say Philly or New York. Um, you know, even Seattle gets a lot of uh, publicity. Chicago, as far as basketball, you know, you're from Pensacola. You ended up going to high school in Orlando. Uh, some of the alumni from your your high school, Dr. Phillips. Uh, some of the guys were Damian Wilkins, Shane Larkin, uh, Chris Warren. Uh, maybe just talk us a little, a little through uh, hoops in in Pensacola and, and 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 Orlando for those who don't know that sort of region of the of the states. Well, they're they're um, Pensacola and Orlando are pr- uh, pretty opposite from one another. Orlando, I mean, excuse me, Pensacola is a very small town. Uh, I would say that it's more known for producing uh, some professional baseball and professional football players, uh, Derek Brooks, uh, who is a NFL Hall of Famer, Emmitt Smith, uh, NFL Hall of Famer, along with uh, some other guys who are played in the NFL, um, as, like I said, as well as with the MLB. I think as, as it relates to basketball, you know, it's been uh, a little bit of a tougher, you know, uh, opportunities for you know, use to come out of there uh, and not only earn scholarships, but, you know, to continue as professionals. Um, but it was a, a group right along with me, uh, a guy named Alex Gordon, who uh, plays professional, a guy named Ralph Mims, who also played professional. Now he's in coaching. But, uh, you know, for, for me, I guess I never looked at it as, uh, you know, a lack of an opportunity but just not enough of an opportunity. Uh, so, which is why I moved to Orlando and, uh, 
Orlando is, like I said, opposite. It's a bigger city. It had, uh, I can name plenty of good players that, you know, came from there, went on to earn themselves uh, Division One scholarships. Darius Washington being one of them um, as one of the other top players in that state. Like you mentioned, Chris Warren, Austin Rivers, uh, Shane Larkin, Damian Wilkins. So the list could go on. So I think uh, Florida is somewhat overall underrated as it relates to uh, basketball players, but not with athletes. I think people immediately equivalent uh, Florida with football more so. But I think um, we've continued to produce talent from that state. Uh, and Vince Carter is from the state of Florida you know, Tracy McGrady. So I think we've always had that, but it's just not been as as big as those major cities, you know. You you ended up choosing Florida State and you played in the ACC and obviously that was, you know, the Dukes and the Carolinas. Maybe just some of your biggest and most fondest memories of, of those four years in the ACC. Well, uh, man, ACC at that point was so competitive. Uh, you know, um, and and... I mean, obviously, you can't compare it to professional because it's amateur, but I think some of the places that we went and played, like the Dukes, the Carolinas, uh, you know, for example, those venues are obviously very popular, but fans there are very tough. They are very passionate for their team. So I think um, it's kind of been a good uh guide to some of the places that I, I've played professionally and I've, I've had to go into some of the environments and play in. Um, but overall, you know, I think if you come from the ACC, uh, there's a mutual respect for any other player that's played in the ACC because you know how competitive that conference is, how athletic, how skilled the guys are, and how good the coaching is as well. So uh, I think, obviously, Duke stands out. Duke and Carolina stands out because of their history and their tradition. But I think uh, for all the schools in that conference, uh, you know, nothing was really easy. You know, no matter who we were playing, wasn't going to be a walk in the park. So uh, I just remember just making some, you know, basketball friends and some some guys that I still, you know, have very high mutual respect for today. And uh, I think a lot of those guys that I played against have done very well. Uh, continuing in their career beyond college. Yeah, and you, you mentioned playing in some of those crazy environments like Cameron Indoor and Chapel Hill. Uh, it, does anything jump out to you as kind of like the, you know, the like I guess like the most wild atmosphere you've played in in Europe, either, you know, being over in Israel or Italy, now in Turkey. Uh, does anything kind of jump out to you as being at that level? Uh, yeah, quite a few places. Uh, I mean, being in Italy, our fans in Avellino, uh, are so passionate for that team and so passionate in that region for all things Avellino. You know, um, when I played as a rookie in Cantu, uh, that was a little, I won't say overwhelming, but it was the same as it was. And Avellino, those fans, you know, just a small town similar to Avellino, those fans are very passionate. Uh, the fans in Shalom, Sasson were the same way. I think you know uh, it's a it's some sometimes it could be a rare thing to have those type of fans in bigger cities because usually you have other sports teams, but uh, I think that you know the passion that 
the fans have here in Besiktas for this team is, is strong as well. Uh, it's just, you know, a respect thing. That name here in Turkey, along with uh, some of the other, you know, big teams in Turkey, it, it just carries weight. So I think each place has been different and unique in its own way. But uh, I have to say a few, I, I definitely would have to say the fans in Avellino were some of the craziest fans, you know, like as far as their passion for the team, you know. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, one of your one of the guys you went to school with over at Florida State was Tony Douglas, and then you actually played against him about a month ago. Now that he's at uh, Darusha Faka there in Turkey, uh, what, what was it like going up against your former college teammate? Well, uh, me and Tony have actually known each other since way before college. Uh, since we were like fourteen years old, um, we went to some camps together, and uh, his dad was uh, a lot more involved with uh, prep basketball at that time, high school basketball. His dad created uh, a website where he ranked some of the players throughout Florida and Georgia. And uh, so I've known Tony from back then. And uh, so, I mean, it's like for sure we're friends, we're buddies, you know, but (laughs) I'm sure he'll say the same thing. When we step between the lines to play a game, uh, it's definitely not friendly. Uh, we're going to compete very hard against each other, and uh, but uh, we definitely have a lot of respect for each other. And I, I've seen Tony grow from more than just uh, a, you know a childhood you know Conrad to a college teammate to now uh, a father and, and much more uh, as a person than just a basketball player. So um, it's just a, a, a you know, a unique thing and, and definitely, you know, I'm proud of what he's done uh, throughout his career from being drafted uh, to the NBA um, and to, you know, continue to have a successful professional career. I, I want to ask about another former teammate you had. Um, it was actually nine years ago uh, in the 2009-10 season at Maccabi Haifa. Um, you played alongside Jeremy uh, Tyler, who was the first American player mm-hmm. to skip his high school uh, his senior year of high school to play professionally. Um, you know, that attracted a lot of attention and was probably considered not necessarily a success. Um, you know, it, like we said, it was nine years ago. How do you remember that? And, and, you know, you were a second year professional yourself back then, you know, what did you learn from, from that? Um, you know, take us back to that whole situation and, and, and maybe what you learned from that. Well, I think, uh, that was a, a def, definitely a unique situation at that time. I think uh, there was no other player to attempt to, you know, forego their senior season and, you know, go into the professional ranks. And um, what I remember most about that was, you know, Jeremy was like, it was like uh, learning on the fly for him. You know, um, that was my second year professionally, but having one year under my belt, definitely makes made a difference in understanding of a lot of things from basketball to, you know, not only your, you know, your personal life off the floor. And I think for him to go from being a high school student to, you know, not only just the professional basketball, but the life, you know, being abroad in another country, adapting to the different culture. I think it was a lot for him to take on. Um, I think that, you know, he gave it his best shot. Um, I think that also at that time, 
you know, not only myself, but another American teammate that I had, we were both in our second year. So our, our you know, experience uh, that we could give him was limited at that point, you know, because we were still learning as well. I mean, I think about that situation, or excuse me, I think about that today and what I would maybe say to him today as an 11-year pro versus being a second-year pro would be completely different, you know the things I try to get him to understand or whatever. But I think that, you know, Jeremy's talent was undeniable. I think it was a very tough, like, thing to take on as a 17, 18-year-old kid. And uh, I think, you know, overall he handled it, you know, fairly well. I think um, it would have been maybe a little more helpful if he had, you know, family that stayed with him full-time over there. But he really took on – you know, that opportunity, um, I'm not going to say alone, but, you know, he was there most of the year, you know, by himself. So it was a lot for him to figure out. But he went on to still, you know, make the NBA, uh, still have opportunities as a professional. So I, I think, you know, uh, as far as whether it was successful or not, that's up to him to decide how far he wanted that to go. You know, I think uh, he dreamed big and he went after it. And that was what was most important about that situation i'm sure that that seems like a long time ago you know you've been playing the game now uh like you said for 11 years now um and if you look at your numbers i know numbers aren't everything but if you look at your numbers they've they've remained pretty pretty uh amazingly consistent uh and now even with higher level of leagues um and international competitions um i mean you could argue that you're you're kind of like a fine wine getting getting uh, even better with time. Uh, maybe what are you doing to, to beat father time? You know, how are you um, trying to, to, to stay at the top level? Uh, you know, in, in May you'll turn 33. Maybe just talk about, uh, about the, the fine wine that you're, that you're, uh, that you are, and you're becoming even more. Well, I think, uh, you know, that's something that, uh, I, first of all, it takes a lot of luck you know, because nothing's guaranteed as far as your health and everything goes. And I, I've had injuries that I've been able to come back from. But I, I think it's also like, you know, just the mindset to never be satisfied. Uh, when I say that, uh, I, I do work really hard in the summertime to take care of my body. But to, to try to, to continue and improve uh, as a basketball player, because uh, I think if you start to, you know, feel like you're a finished product, then, you know, uh, you become satisfied with where you're at. I just, I don't know. I just can't think that way. And I mean, I do have to credit, you know, not only you know, myself, but I have a very strong support system. You know, uh, my wife really is like my teammate. She's uh, very much involved in what I do to, you know, get myself ready you know, as I am. So, uh, I think, you know, I eat right. I really just push myself to work really hard and, and just, just to take advantage of the opportunity that I do have. And I think it's just kind of worked out that way. Um, that, you know, when you know, you've put in the work and the preparation, not only, you know, during the practices, but throughout the summers and, you've done everything you can to get your body right and get it ready. And you have confidence that no matter uh, where you are or, you know, what the circumstances are that you've, 
you prepared yourself. So I think that's been my biggest, you know, difference from where I started at early in my career to where I am now. It's just keeping that preparation and just really like, you know, taking advantage of uh, keeping my body fresh, so to speak, or, or improving my body just as much as my game, you know. Yeah, and and bringing it back to uh, Besiktas for a minute, you signed with the team a little bit late. Came in in like the middle of October. Uh, what what was it like joining the team a little bit late like that, where you know you didn't have training camp with the guys? Um, maybe you were you were kind of wondering, you know, where you're going to play as the season started. Uh, what what was just kind of that process like of coming in late? Well, I, I I think the best way to describe it was maybe trying to jump onto a moving train. <laughs> you know, uh, because <laughs> yeah, you know, you have uh, a team dynamic that's already being built. Yeah, you know, you come in, and, you know, you want to mesh with your teammates. You want to be a part of team chemistry, um, and, and you know, uh, our, our standard for practice, our standard for you know, uh, our work every day is very high here. Um, we're pushed very hard to 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 really uh, be at our best, uh, you know, physically, and definitely it's it's more of a focus every day, like with with the basketball. So I mean, it was like playing catch up, man. But you know, um, in my mind, I knew I would eventually get to the point where my body would maybe catch up with my brain. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't feel like I wasn't in shape, but I wasn't game ready yet you know so I think um, just the level that we worked at has helped me get to that point and um, you know we have a bunch of good guys on the team who uh, come to work every day and we've kind of just not worried about looking ahead we've taken it literally one week at a time one practice one week at a time we've kind of gotten to a point where we're getting to know each other better but What's exciting about everything is that we know we're not a finished product right now. We know we still are going to, you know, do whatever it takes to improve. So, uh, but it definitely was tough, uh, you know, and it's not just the physical part of it, but it's, you know, the chemistry of being around your teammates, knowing what their game is, what they do best and how it works with what you do, you know. Yeah, and and now you guys. So you started a little bit slow. Now you've won four out of the last five in the BCL. Is is that just kind of like a product of becoming more comfortable with each other, or did it, did like something I guess besides that kind of change for you guys? Well, no, it, it, you're exactly right. It, it is a product of, of really becoming more comfortable with each other. Uh, also, you know, I think we've had guys step up their productivity, which is important. And I think that everybody is is rounding into you know accepting what they need to do for us to be successful. You know, because uh, you know part of being on a team is you know everybody having a, a job to do and understanding it, uh, and not only understanding it but accepting it and, and really doing it at their best level. And I think that uh, it's a credit to you know um, us as players of just coming and working hard, really. Every day, but like I said, with our coaches, they push us, man. Um, really, honestly, they push us to to not be satisfied with you know just one win. So I think that's helped too. You guys are 
I, I know I know players and coaches never want to say you know think too far in advance. You know you're 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 in the playoff spots right now. I I wanted to ask you know you mentioned you've mentioned in in previous interviews uh, how much you like fellow Florida native Amari Stoudemire. Uh, you played for Hapo Jerusalem. You also played for for Coach Kaddish. How how much how much fun would it be for you? How much would you like to to maybe face Hapo Jerusalem in the playoffs? I know obviously they're a great team, but maybe just you know with your past with uh, with the club and also your your admiration of of Amari Stoudemire, maybe just what would what would that be like for you to maybe get a chance to play against that group uh, uh, somewhere along the lines in the playoffs? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, for that to happen, a lot of things have to fall a certain way, you know. Um, but we can speak hypothetically, you know. Um, if it came down to that, uh, I think it would be uh, exciting. Uh, you know, I, I think every player wants to play against the best as far as uh, best teams, the most competitive teams. You want to be in the big games that are meaningful. So if we did come across them, um, first of all, I guess as it relates to Coach Katash, who I did play for, I do have a lot of respect and admiration for him. Uh, he's always been um, the type of coach that uh, has never been afraid to implement his system, uh, his style of play, no matter whether somebody thinks it should be something different. He's always been bold, and I think uh, in that way. And I think it, uh, he's had success with it. Um, but, you know, Mark Stoudemire is somebody who, for me, I was only a few years behind him, but I definitely uh, somebody who I looked up to as a young high school player because this was a guy that <laughs> he had a lot of attention around him. He had a lot of, uh, you know, things that uh, not the typical high school player would have to deal with. Uh, as far as the media, because everybody knew he was going to be going out of high school. He was so dominant. Uh, it was basically like a man amongst boys. But, I mean, um, I think for him to turn that uh, into a lengthy NBA career, uh, not only just being there, but to be successful on that level um, and really being a part of, I think, you know, of a, of a team that really changed the style of play for basketball today. You know, that Phoenix teams that he was on, they played a really open style. They shot a lot of threes. They played the pick and roll. Uh, and he was the perfect fit for that along with, you know, Steve Nash. So I think it's a pretty cool thing that he's not, he doesn't feel like he's so much better the way he can't come over seas and play. And, uh, you know, I think I've, I've seen some, some, uh, interviews and documentaries with him uh, in Israel. He's really embraced uh, him and his family and has embraced living over there, taking on that culture. So I think that's a pretty cool thing, but it would be exciting, you know, to play against him because uh, another, a fellow Floridian who, uh, I mean, you know, he's taking his basketball to the highest level. So um, I think that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, and um, a little less hypothetically, uh, you guys play against Prometheus next week. They beat you earlier in the season by eight points. Uh, what, what do you guys got to do next week just to get a win and, and get some revenge there? Um, well, you know, uh, you, you, when, you, when you're talking about, you know, us as a team, you know, coming together and that being responsible for, for out of five, well, they started that way. 
Um, they really play together. Um, and they play a really uh, different style. You know, they got a lot of guys that can step away from the basket at the four and the five positions who can space the floor, they can shoot, they can dribble. You know, so they create a, a you know, a difficult challenge. But I think the first thing we have to have is, you know, the kind of intensity um, and a focus that we need. Um, but, you know, um, I think – you know, for us, if we stick to what we do best, then we should be fine. I mean, I think when, if you let somebody dictate the tempo to you, then it makes it more difficult um, if you allow them to play their style and to be comfortable. So we have to come out with intensity. And uh, I think if we do that, then it will give ourselves a great chance to win the game. Sounds like a great way to end the interview. Uh, Besiktas uh, started the season one and four, have won four out of the last five. A big reason for that has been the the uh, the play of Jason Rich, uh, uh, MVP of Game Day 10. Jason, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you a little bit more and, and also the dynamics of this team. And uh, good luck next week against Prometheus, and uh, good luck uh, down down the road. Thank you. The pleasure was mine, but thank you guys, man. All right. Thanks again to our guest, Jason Rich. Uh, Dave, what did you think about what he had to say? The thing that kind of stuck out, stuck out most was, was, you know, the body catching up to the mind, you know, in the game shape. You look at his numbers and they've, you know, been steadily um, getting better and better all season. Um, and, and, and it makes sense a guy like that, you know, just, you know, who is such a big part of the team, um, to, and, and coming late, um, you know, catching, you know, trying to get on a, a moving train, you know, what a, what a great, uh, uh, a great analogy. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, a, I, I really enjoyed the talk. It was, it was, uh, there was a lot of great information there. Um, what'd you think? Yeah, that was great. You know, Rich is is clearly a smart guy, a guy who's been around for a long time. You don't play eleven years uh, in the pros without having having some wisdom. And uh, you know, like you said, getting better with age. One MVP of the Italian League last year, playing great with Besiktas. One of the reasons why they've been able to turn it around. So it was really cool to talk to Jason Rich. Looking ahead to next week, game day eleven. There's some really good matchups in this one, uh, Dave. Looking at Tuesday's games, which ones are you most excited for? Uh, I mentioned it earlier. I'd probably say the Tenerife event, uh, Venezia is, is one of the most intriguing ones. Um, the game that I'll probably sort of be looking at most interesting as well is, is Besiktas, um, playing at home against, you know, Prometheus to see if Besiktas can continue their run. What do you got? Yeah, that one's going to be awesome. I'm I'm really excited for Besiktas Prometheus. I would also say Strasbourg Neptunus in that Group D. That's of course an important one. We'll see if Strasbourg can right the ship. It's another game at home, so another good opportunity for them to make up for their loss against Besiktas. Also on Tuesday, Antwerp versus Nimburg. Antwerp, they've got a two-game cushion there in Group C, but if they lose this game, Nimburg's only going to be one game behind them with three to go, and that's a young team in Antwerp. That's going to be a lot of pressure for the last few weeks. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they respond in that game at home, uh, if, see if they can come out and get a win. Looking ahead to Wednesday, what are you, uh, you going to be watching for this one? Probably the avellino Mercia game. Um... You know, Mercia, if they can go on a road and, and, and play against and beat a uh, a, a strong Avellino team, 
probably also the Nizni Banvit uh, Banvit game. You know, Nizni is is right there on the on the border with in the playoff spots, and and uh, you know Anvil and and Lamont are breathing down their neck. And you know, if my prediction that Banvit doesn't make the playoffs. Uh, if it's supposed to come true, they pretty much would have to lose this game. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, a couple other interesting games. What do you, what do you, what do you see? Yeah, that, that game is really important for Banvit. Their final four games are against the other top four teams in the group. And then Ouch. three of those four games are on the road. On so the road. Yeah, tough yeah. schedule for them. If they can get a win at Nizhny, uh, that, that will probably, you know, essentially put them in the playoffs. Uh, that's why but, I said they wouldn't make the playoffs. Right? It's going to be, it's going to be tough. So that's going to be a really important one. Um, and then also Nanterre versus Pauk in group B is a pretty big yep. game on Wednesday. Nanterre, they're at five and five. They're one game behind both Pauk and Halone. If they win that game, uh, they'll have the same record as Pauk. That'll put them in a really good position. And like we mentioned, you know, they've been blowing out some teams lately, so they've been playing well. They'll be confident. So definitely check out those games. You can watch all of these games on livebasketball.tv. Make sure you follow along on championsleague.basketball. That's the official website. Also download the Champions League app where you can get all of the latest stats, news, information about the BCL. So I think that'll do it for this week's podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Jason Rich. Thanks to Dave Hine out in Germany. My name is Austin Green, and this has been BCL Coast to Coast.